If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or are new to the faith, we invite you to join our discussion as we dive into theology, objections to the faith, common questions, and hot topics in an effort to better know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. Hello, and welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, uh, Jared Jernigan, and with me as usual is Barrett Jackson. Hey, guys. We also have Sam Draper. Good morning. And Zach Rimsberg. Hello, all. And uh, we are here uh, continuing a series that we've been doing in recent weeks on uh, covenants in the Bible. So uh, this week we are going to be moving on to um, King David and the Davidic covenant. That's a much easier one to make ad- an adjective than some of the others have been. So, so I'm, I'm thankful for that, first of all, today. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess I don't know if I need to review a little bit about covenants. These are just, these are promises, a little more than promises, but between, you know, that God has made that's between God and man. It's almost uh, like life pledges. Okay. Is uh, one of the best ways I've found to uh, to say it, that someone is, is pledging themselves in a very significant, almost religious way, a lot like a marriage ceremony. So more than, more than a, a handshake, um, business deal but um there there is sometimes a business-like aspect or a political aspect to it but uh so life pledge you know on the on the i'm staking my life on the fact that i will do this that i said i'm going to do yeah partnership a really 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 strong partnership and um, we, we've gone, gone through several of these, and uh, one of the themes I think of it that I'm seeing emerge is how they've kind of built upon each other. We started with the Garden of Eden, uh, move on to Noah, Abraham, Israel. Israel, I was like, I skipped one. Um, and now we get to King David, and this, this kind of comes closer to, you know, we will be in an episode or two, depending on how this goes, be kind of to the ultimate covenant, uh, you know, but won't give that away just yet, although I'm sure... Uh, People can probably figure that one out. Um, so we're getting in, you know, getting into King David here. So I, you know, I don't know. We, we have some background, anything that uh, we want to say on how the covenant with David came about. Well, I think it is significant how, how we got to a king. So the people of Israel coming into the land, ultimately the covenant with between God and Israel God is the king, and he's the only king they need. But uh, early in the book of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, the people were saying, we, we want to be like everyone else. Everyone else has a king. Uh, and, you know, the, the judge at the time, Samuel, he's really upset about this and brings it to God. And God says, hey, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. As their king. So the first king they get is the king they want. The King Saul. He's tall. He he looks royal. You know, you, you know, people like that, that just like they 
They have an essence about them. Um, but he looked the part, but he was uh, not... Yeah, he did some good things, but then ultimately he he didn't listen to God. He he kind of uh, made his own rules. You know, he was supposed to wait for the priest, Samuel, to come and do the sacrifice, and he couldn't wait, so he did a sacrifice himself. God says, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. So God told him, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Which set Saul in this huge paranoia trip. Um, I mean, rightly so, in the sense that, yes, David was going to be the next king, and, and David kind of enters Saul's orbit. Uh, Saul's aware of him, but uh, Saul sets out to kill him, even though David is content to wait for Saul to die. Uh, it's like, David's not going to take Saul's life. David is waiting for God. Even okay. had the chance to take Saul's life a couple times, yeah. right? So, yeah. So, you kind of see this thing where Saul can't wait for Samuel, but David is willing to wait for God. You know, and um, so David, so eventually Saul dies in battle, not with David, but with other other enemies. And David uh, becomes king, and then David wants to build a house for God. He wants to build a temple. Up until this point, we have the tabernacle. Um, <laughs> we have the tabernacle from uh, the book of Exodus, where Israel was traveling around, had this mobile tent, and David's like, I want, I want to build God a house. And um, and that kind of sets the stage for the covenant, which I'll let somebody else take us through. Well, um, what you're talking about happens in Second uh, Samuel seven, and um, yeah, David says he wants to do this, um, and Prophet Nathan tells him to go ahead, but then um, God actually uh, appears to Nathan and says. Uh, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from, from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved and with all, or with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So I guess the first step is here, God saying, okay, you're giving me something, but you're wanting to give me something, but did I ask for it? Right. Um, yeah. And and that's a that's a very good point. Sometimes I think sometimes we're like that. We're like, yeah, I want to do this for God. And God's like, Really? Mm -hmm. Is it is it really for me? Or is it is it for you? <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, therefore, thus you shall tell my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep. Uh, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. 
from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and will establish a throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. All right, so you see this interesting uh, parallel that God says, David, I don't need you to build me a house, but I'm going to build your house. I'm going to establish your house. So there's the physical house, and then there's the metaphorical house of, you know, David's line, David's family. So God says, no, I'm... You know, you're not you're not doing me any favors, but I'm showing you grace. I'm going to establish you. What what is the metaphorical house again? I don't follow. Uh, when we talk about like, uh, okay, so so my house, there's the place where I dwell, the literal space, mm-hmm. but then there's my family. Mm. So my wife, my son, me, we are, you know, a ha- a home household. How, yeah, exactly. So God's going to establish David's household as kings uh, over the people of Israel. Got it. Um, but, uh, but David's not going to build God's house. So David was the first one to suggest it, correct? I believe so, yeah. Suggest building the temple? Yeah, I believe and then, and then we're saying that then God was like, no, no, I'm doing this for you, even though you suggested it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Okay. And I believe the thing is in Chronicles, it talks about God, God mentions that David was a man of blood. You know, he yeah. killed a number of people in battle and, and such. So, uh, so that was one reason why God didn't. Which is interesting because he's also described as being a man after God's own heart, but he mm. still didn't meet because because yeah. of what you said, the, the hands of blood, he sure. God wouldn't allow it. Yeah. So so what ultimately ends up happening is that is that David uh, actually proceeds to get everything ready. He he goes on, he he collects the resources. I think he designs uh, the the structure, the architectural plans, so that his son after him, Solomon, uh, can build the temple. So, so David laid a lot of the groundwork for it, um, but he doesn't get to build it. He doesn't get to, uh, to see it uh, complete. But God makes this promise about David's descendants would be kings in Israel, um, which then raises some questions because, uh, so the history of, of Israel, Solomon is after David and, 
And Solomon's a mixed bag. He, uh, in, in some ways, he follows Yahweh. In some ways, he marries a bunch of uh, pagan women, um, sleeps with a bunch of others, and uh, only nine hundred plus. Yeah, something, <laughs> something like that. It was. Um, uh, so so many things to say, <laughs> but uh, eventually he starts worshiping these other gods. Okay, so then Solomon's son Rehoboam, the uh, the people uh, come to him and say, "Yeah, can we have some policy changes? We we don't, you know, uh, your your father Solomon was pretty harsh." Uh, taxes and and forced servitude and, and things. Can we change the policies? And some very wise people told Rehoboam, like, hey, if you listen to them, if you pay attention to their concerns, they will follow you forever. Um, but then some others came and said, eh, like, who, are you, who are these peasants talking, talking to the king like this? So tell them that, you know, you're going to be even worse than your father. And that, that goes over as well as you expect. And half the kingdom uh, says, all right, we're out. And you have the separation between Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Um, so David's descendants continue to rule, but over half the kingdom. Right. <laughs> um, they last, that kingdom lasts longer than Israel. The kings tend to do better than the kings in Israel, but eventually they get pretty bad. Um, and then the Babylonians exile the people of, of Judah and the, the, kingd the kingdom, the, the line of kings is ended. But the covenant here is that uh, one of your descendants will reign forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Um, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. So how, how can it be forever if it ended in 587 B.C.? I mean, I, yeah, I think this is a great example of God, obviously, is speaking on a different level than we are, you know, because I think as you're reading through this section, it's like, oh, Solomon. And then you get to the part, and I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah, that's Jesus, not Solomon. <laughs> that's right. The, the New Testament makes a pretty big deal that Jesus uh, was a descendant of David. He is the fulfillment of this covenant. Um, and he, he does reign forever. Pre-incarnation... God was still king over Israel and Judah, even during the exile. All right. Um, when Jesus comes incarnate, he comes and he brings the kingdom of God. And now he reigns forever. Uh, so uh, Jesus, a descendant of David, just as he's the seed of the woman and he's the, the ultimate son of the promise to Abraham, he is the ultimate son of David who uh, reigns forever over God's kingdom. Uh, and this kingdom 
and now takes a different form. It's not a geographical kingdom located on a particular set of land. It is a, a kingdom of Jews and Gentiles who place their faith in Jesus as king, and it expands the globe. It's multinational, um, which you know, forces us as Christians to, to take a look at our, ourselves, uh, very honestly, because yes, I have an identity as an American, but my citizenship is not here. My ultimate citizenship is in God's kingdom. As St. Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors. We're here representing another kingdom, All right? So, uh, you know, when, when America has a conflict with, um, make a random country, Estonia, we have brothers and sisters. There's nothing going on in Estonia. That's why I picked it. I want to, <laughs> apologies to our Estonian listeners. Um, but we have brothers and sisters in that country that in some ways are closer to us than the atheist American down the street. Yeah. You know, so, so that's why I personally get nervous about some nationalistic tendencies because yes, America, I root for America during the Olympics, but I've got brothers and sisters all around this world who are united by the blood of Jesus. And, um, so how, how can I put myself in conflict with them, you know, because of the, the political machinations of sure. the United States. What do you think, Barrett? Well, I, I, I... I really like Sam's comment on being closer to our brothers and sisters across the world because of our faith. I guess I, it just, uh, I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's almost obvious, but I just never really thought about it that way. Um, what do you think, Zach? Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't thinking about that, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> what were, what, uh, no, I, I just... What were you thinking uh, about? Not to uh, rabbit trail, uh, but one of the things that I like, and I remember I this kind of was a something I ran across, and then I was teaching a class one time on covenants, too, and I got stumped, and it wasn't... Uh, I didn't like it, but then I... <laughs> I found out, come to find out, this is a tidbit I was like sharing about this, and uh, we don't have time to go on the ins and outs of it, but um, Jeconiah, you, Sam, you probably know this. Obviously, you, you know this. Uh, Jeconiah, one of the descendants of Solomon, right, who would carry on the lineage of David and be on the throne, one of the kings. He was actually cursed because under his reign is when they were exiled to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah was the one that issued the cursing and said that no one who was of the lineage of Jeconiah would ever, that no descendant of Jeconiah would inherit the throne of David. Joseph 
Jesus's stepfather, adopted father, whatever you prefer to say, was from that line. So okay. when people read the uh, lineages, right, all the all the family tree stuff, and they get all bored. There's a reason in the Gospels why one is from Joseph and one is from Mary, because Mary was from David's other son, Nathan, which was not cursed. So the line continued. So when we go through these family trees, while they can be very, <laughs> like Levit Leviticus at times, there's, they're in there for a reason. So I think that sometimes those little details can help people be like, oh, wow. well, that's kind of neat. Okay. So anyway, that's my tidbit on the Davidic covenant for the day. What was his name again? Who? Jeconiah was the one that was cursed. Jeremiah. Because he did what? Well, they got captured. One, he just wasn't all that great, but two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, they under his reign is when they were exiled to Babylon. It was overtaken. Okay. And because Joseph wasn't technically his, well, Joseph his was father. That's how we get around it. Not around it. That's why it's okay. <laughs> well, and you have, I mean, yeah, so, the important so scripture does not contradict yeah. itself. Well, yes. like, right. and, and to the point Sam made earlier, the, the promises, you know, the Davidic covenant is an extension of the original promise to Abraham and through the seed of the woman. And you have Mary, this importance of Mary being from the lineage of David. So all things connected. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, ultimately, yeah, we're, we're, I mentioned the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God is now and not yet. So there's there's the people of the kingdom of God, everyone who recognizes Jesus as king, yet we can't say that, you know, okay, the, the, this is all that the kingdom ever will be. Because the book of Revelation talks about a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, um to the 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 recreated earth where god is going to reign as king so um you know we we sometimes get like oh you know church bleh. you know there's hypocrites in the church there's uh sometimes you you hear about pastors who have the significant fallings and and stuff well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is that the kingdom of God, you're going to have wheat, the, the people of God, and right alongside them, you're going to have weeds, children of the enemy. And they're all going to be mixed together and they're only going to be separated at the end. You know, when you gather the wheat for the barn and gather the uh, weeds uh, for the fire. So there will come a day when uh, the kingdom of God will will be manifested under the reign of King Jesus without all the junk of this world, um, but, but we're not there yet. So in the meantime, we're ambassadors of a kingdom that is uh, in process. You know, it's like, you know, it's like we're we're uh, visitors from the future. We're representing a kingdom that's going to to be manifested in the future, but in the meantime, we're still recruiting <laughs> and and telling people about this kingdom that is that is coming, a kingdom of of justice, a kingdom where there's no more crying or or 
sickness or death. Um, but we, we got to hold on because it's not, it's not here yet. Okay, well, um, is there, you know, is there anything else we would uh, like to say about the Davidic Covenant? Or is that pretty much? Sure, there's plenty more we can say and discuss, but. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, mean, I think the only thing I would say just briefly is, um, and really maybe this should have been at the beginning, but to me it's interesting kind of the location, like where David was when this all happened, because in I think in, in some of these covenants you see that it was on a mountaintop, you know, it, it's, it's about being close to God. I mean, Eden was considered, you know, as a, you know, a mountaintop garden. Um, you know, Abraham's, you know, Abraham's covenant was on, I think, the same mountain, you know. So it's when he's brought God home to Jerusalem, which is up high among Israel, that, you know, that this really happens. So I, I don't know where to go with that, but it's just kind of a connection that, you know, you can kind of see running between all of these. Mm -hmm, yeah. Know, so... Yeah, I will say um, Isaiah really comes back to this theme of the the Davidic uh, covenant and Davidic Messiah, where he he talks about a a shoot from the the stump of Jesse, uh, Jesse being the name of David's father, and so. Uh, so that's a very dominant theme throughout the book of Isaiah, that you have this messianic king that's coming, um, but then in the very using the very similar language, he talks about a suffering servant who's coming, um, and then he talks about a conquering a conqueror who's coming. But you kind of piece it all together, the messianic king, the suffering servant, the conquering one, the, the, he's all talking about the same person. Now, when Jesus was here, people of his day were focused on the, the Davidic king and the conquering king. Not the suffering. Not the suffering servant. <laughs> because who, who wants to follow a sufferer? You know, we want to follow, we want victory. Mm-hmm. We want we all follow a winner. So when they came, they wanted to make Jesus king because hey, he can manifest uh, uh, bread and fish out of thin air. Sure, he's he's gonna march on on Jerusalem and kick out the Romans. And when Jesus didn't show any interest in that, they were like, eh, let's let's move on to the next one. Okay. Well, move on to the next one. I guess that might be uh, <laughs> what we do now. Um, so, I guess with that, um, this has been uh, the Colossians 3-1 podcast. Uh, we thank you for listening.